Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Welcome all of you, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. As many of you know, we're continuing in this series called IRL in Real Life. We have been about two years in, a little bit over two years, of things of the COVID restrictions and a lot of things have been online. And now we get to finally, uh, slowly, we're praying that God will sustain us. But slowly, we're coming back in real life, in person. Whether it's classes, work. Some of you are like, oh, I loved it at work. You just wake up in your pajamas. You look good here. But if down here, we don't know what you look like. But you're like, here we are. And one of the things I would say is, even though online stuff is great, it saves time with transportation. But there is nothing, as I've shared many times before, like being in person. There's some element, it's hard to describe, but there's some element, whether it's the atmosphere, whether it's just being able to just be in face-to-face with someone, not behind a screen, that's so different than being just online. So we want to continue to focus in on that. Last week, we talked about community, how community in real life is so important. Many of you have joined Life Group this week. I hope that it was a blessing for you and that you participate continually in our biblical community. Today, I want to talk about transformation IRL in real life. What does transformation look like? So here's my question as we are talking about this. Is I'm wondering how many of you have ever met somebody who went through incredible or huge transformation? Now, if I were to ask you, bring out your old junior high or form, I forgot what form it is, five, six, seven, whatever that form that you're in, or even high school picture, some of you would be like, oh my Lord, I looked horrible. Some of you, like sometimes for me, I'm like, wow, I looked so much skinnier and I look so much nicer. But you know what I'm talking about? When you were younger, you're like, oh, that rough pee stage, puberty. You know, when you had all this stuff all over your face and, you know, just your voice was changing. There was a lot of stuff going on. But even some of you have changed even in your personality. Some of us might have been shy. Now, as we've been growing up, there's been a transformation and we're more outgoing. Some of us might have been really outgoing. And then maybe we got a little bit more inward focus. Whatever the case may be, when you think about somebody going through transformation, the thing that sticks out is that there's a feeling that I think all of us understand. For those of us who have gone through transformation, it really is a life-changing thing. And sometimes you can't even think back or want to go back to what it was before. To those of us who have witnessed and seen transformation in somebody else, I think all of us can testify it leaves us kind of flabbergasted maybe, or incredulous to see that a person can change that much. Uh, We're in shock. Oftentimes, it's just amazement. And we have to wonder, like, what happened? What did you go through? What did you experience that caused you to change in this way? And that's why I think whenever you see transformation in anyone's life, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, maybe other things happening in their lives, it produces a certain kind of effect that I think every single one of us in this room, we all desire deep down inside. I'm going to show you this quick video of a homeless person. His name is 
Jose Antonio, and he lives in Spain. And this whole hairdressing parlor salon, they were trying to do a promotion, and they decided to give a whole makeover to just homeless people that, that were sitting around. And I want you to watch this, because as you're watching this, I want, I want you to first see his reaction after seeing the change. And secondly, he will meet some of the people from his hometown. And they could not even recognize him. And when they did, they could not believe it. So I want you to see their response. So let's watch this together, shall we? Amazing. They're probably like, Jose, Jose, is that you? A complete change. You would not be able to recognize him from being a homeless person to what you just saw right there. I think the part that I want to just try to encourage us and to think about is this. It's a lot of times when we go through a transformation, there are certain things that have to kind of come before that. And even after the transformation, there are things that we must continue to do. Now, he can go back and grow out his hair and just not do anything, and he'll go back to what he was before. The power of transformation, it gives you a glimpse of what it could be like. And as you experience it, you want to continue in that work of transformation. I think these types of stories move us because what it does is it fuels a sense of hope and also anticipation and inspiration that maybe, possibly, it could happen to me. And that's why I love the Bible, because there are so many examples of people who experience transformation. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, there are these stories of people who encountered Jesus and their lives were flipped upside down. True, genuine transformation that many of us are looking for, it has to come through encountering Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Listen to what Sam Storm said. He says this, you weren't created for boredom or burnout or bondage to sexual lust or greed or ambition, but for the incomparable pleasure and matchless joy that knowing Christ, uh, Jesus alone can bring. Only then in him will you encounter the life-changing, thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying delight that God, for his glory, created you to experience. How true is that? That many of us, when we are trying to search for meaning, purpose, joy, satisfaction in our lives, we look at so many other things that are just temporary things. But that deep, satisfying, the soul-quenching thirst that we have and longing, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to share about, and that's what we want to talk about today, that this transformation can come once you encounter this Jesus Christ in your life. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing that I want us to remember is simply this. It is only a gospel revelation can bring upon real transformation. There has to be a, a gospel revelation so that we can experience this genuine and this real transformation. Those of us who are new, maybe some of you do not have faith yet in Christ. The gospel simply, when you translate it in the original language, it just simply means good news. That the revelation of good news, and hopefully you'll begin to understand why it's good news. That is the only way you can experience this genuine and this real transformation in your life. 
So I want to highlight two things here as we look into the story, a story that many of you probably know already, but I pray that you'll look at it with the eyes of what we're talking about in real life. How do you experience this transformation? The first thing is this. There are two things. The first thing is we must encounter the power of Christ. That's the first thing, that we have to encounter the power of Christ. Uh, some of you who know the scripture, you know that it was written it was a story about Paul, and the interesting about, thing about Apostle Paul is that he has inspired so many people throughout history, especially Christ's followers, the way he lived his life, the things that he has gone through. In fact, he has written close to 13, 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. That's almost a 48%. It's almost half of the book in the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. And so in order to understand God's work of transformation in Paul's life, we have to first look at his life before encountering Christ. And those of you who know this, that he was Saul before he was Paul. There's something powerful God does when he changes a person's name. It changes your destiny. So he was known as Saul, but then later his name was changed to Paul. So what was Paul formerly known as, uh, Saul, what was he like? Who was this Saul person who transformed into Paul? The first thing I want to talk about is his background. It will help you to understand the background. Let me just say this. If Paul had a CV, it will literally be the most impeccable background compared to anyone else in the whole world. Let me put it in modern terms. He graduated from Harvard for his undergrad. I think some of you heard of that school. And then he went to grad school at Cambridge to get his PhD. And then he decided to do a postdoc and just go to Oxford for the heck of it. Okay, let's just go to Oxford. Not only that, but he ended up working for the top 10 tech companies in the world. I don't know if Cindy's company is top 10 in the world, but, you know. <laughs> top 10, probably the best, the number one. He also had great parents, great family. He was a social media influencer with over 10 million people following. Some are like, I'm just struggling with 100. But you know what I'm saying? 10 million. That was his CV. And Paul, in his own bio, or autobiography, he explains that kind of background to the people of Philippi. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he's simply saying is that if you were looking for something that the world standards can say, you're like the top, you're the best, he goes, I have it right here. He was a pure Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, in fact, he came from this tribe of Benjamin that was a very significant tribe throughout the history of Israel. He wasn't just a normal Jewish person, but he was a Pharisee 
who was going to study and then be a teacher of other teachers. He was going to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Righteousness, back then, the way they thought that you could be righteous is if you could just obey all the law. He says he was blameless or faultless. Like, this is the kind of background this person named Saul that he had. And also Paul, or known as, formerly known as Saul, I feel like it's like a rock star. Hi, I'm Paul, formerly known as Saul. But he was a promising young Pharisee who was educated by one of the top scholars, Gamaliel. And he was the most respected teacher, and he would learn under him. That's like for you business school people, you are learning from Warren Buffett. I mean, we're talking about the best of the best. You're learning directly from them. And in fact, Paul was such a great student. He was on track of becoming one of the leaders for this Jewish faith. Listen to what it says in Galatians 2, another letter that he wrote to the people of Galatia. He, it says this in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. What, what he was simply saying is that no one compared to me. I was head and shoulders above everyone else in my class. Everyone in my batch, I was the best. Listen to what the message translation says of that verse. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. Some of you who are single adults who are just working, you understand that trying to move ahead in this corporate ladder is not easy. You gotta have the right connections, you gotta perform and do well. So pretty much this person known as Saul, who later became Paul, like he was the top of the top. He was that person everyone was jealous of. And you would be too. So what happened to this man who we see clearly his background that was completely transformed? I was thinking to myself, like, what else does a person like this need? Okay, fine, maybe a girlfriend. But I mean, what else? What else does he need? He has almost everything in the world's eyes. Great career, moving up better than everyone else. He was a respectable Jew. And sometimes these types of people, they just appear as if they have everything together. I'm wondering if you know some people like that. They just seem like they have everything together. They don't struggle with anything. They don't, they don't have anxieties, but they just, everything is put together. And I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years is usually those are the type of people who need Jesus the most. Why do they try so hard to get that GPA? Why do they try so hard to get that job? Only to get it, but then feel more empty, so they try harder for other things. Don't be fooled by the external things, the degrees and the trophies and all the different awards and the accolades, because usually those are the people who need Jesus the most. I think for some of us, we come in here with impeccable and incredible resumes. But there's an emptiness in your heart. 
Some of you haven't experienced that, but you're going to be like, why am I trying so hard in school? Why am I trying to get that GPA? Why am I trying to move up this corporate ladder? Why am I trying to buy, get more money so I could buy that house or buy that apartment to buy that car? Some of you have not experienced that yet, but you will. Because if that is what you're seeking after, you will quickly realize that it can only satisfy for a temporary moment, but you're gonna, those questions will begin to linger. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What's going to happen to me when I die? These are the questions that you will begin to, am I going to live a legacy? What happens after I pass away? Then will the people remember me? So not only his background, let's just quickly look at his beliefs. What you will notice is Paul was a very devout Jew, and he lived out his faith passionately. Now, if there's anyone who was going to go to heaven by obeying a law, it was Paul. I mean, this person was devout. He was passionate in what he believed. Not only was he passionate about obeying the law, but you have to understand he was zealous for defending the faith. Listen to what it says in Galatians once again. It says this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. See, what happens is that if you are zealous and you really believe in something, anyone who comes against it, you will come and what it will do is stir up anger, violence. I think in our culture, we've lost a sense of debate and civility. Even though you disagree with me, we can still dialogue together. But we live in a cancel culture. Something happens, we don't like it, we cancel them. That's what leads to totalitarianism or even fascist mindset. What you have to be able to do is to talk with people, dialogue with, even if you disagree with them. And I think we've lost that. I see that all over in the United States when I keep up with the news there. I see it in Europe. I see it even in Asia. To really be free, to be able to speak your mind, you got to be able to dialogue. And that's what makes peace. But here's Saul, known later as Paul. He was so zealous for his faith. Anyone who came against the Jewish faith he was going to kill them, became very violent. So the question is this, how can a person like this, with his kind of background, with his belief, be completely transformed? You know, I, I remember when I was younger, God put a fire in my heart for evangelism because my life was genuinely changed. And many of you know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home probably Buddhist or ancestral worship at best. That was kind of like our family religion. And through a series of different events I went through in my life and finally heard the good news, the gospel for the first time, it literally turned my life upside down. But I wasn't disciple, so I kind of drifted away. And it wasn't until I made a recommitment to Jesus Christ that I'm going to live for him. Everything that he said in his word is true. And that's when the fire for evangelism just began to grow. I literally would talk to anyone I'd come across. Elevator, I'm that guy who would turn around and face everyone. I, I, I'm that guy. Airplane, 
you did not want to sit next to me because if you, especially if you wanted to kind of rest, come like, hey, first time flying, you know, I'll start having conversations. I was that guy. I just love talking about Jesus. I wanted to share about my life and how Christ has transformed my life. And something that I shared earlier, and I'll say it again, is this. There are many times where even though the fire for evangelism was there, I was so afraid to talk to people who seemed like they had everything together. Because it's so much easier to talk to people who are like, alone, I'm lonely, you need Jesus. You know, it's easy, it's easy. But if they're the popular dudes in the class, if they're everyone that, you know, he drives the Ferrari or the Porsche, they love driving Porsche, right? And just has everything together in that suit, you're just like, oh, they need Jesus, but it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to surrender. (laughs) And in this, I began to learn slowly that all that is just dressing. All that is facade. Because if you take all those things away, that person that looks so immaculate, so perfect, that girl who seems like they have everything together, they struggle with the same thing. Insecurity, wanting to belong, unconditional love, a sense of significance, meaning. And after I began to understand that, I began to trust God that he's going to prepare people so that I can share the gospel with and my own transformation story. I'll never forget it back in 1999. I know some of you were not born. Some of you were born in 2003. I know it's, it's, it, it breaks my heart. But anyway, back in before you were conceived, but God knew you before you were born. But back in 1999, we were down in Peru and we were uh, doing ministries in these villages. Or we were trying to do some community service things. And then we would do like dramas to communicate this good news of Jesus Christ, how he loves them and forgives them of their sin. And we were doing this for the whole day. We were exhausted. And here we were in this van, minivan, and we we're ready to go home. And peop- some of our team members, they were so exhausted from the night before we were doing ministry the day before that many of them were sleeping. They were tired. But I don't know, I was really amped up. I was just excited. And I I just felt like as we were driving, we had to go through the center part of town, the central plaza. And as we were driving through it, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, go out and do your thing. Do do the skit, you know, the testimony and preach the gospel because I have some people prepared for you. Like, I want to tell you right now, when you lead, sometimes your, your followers or your members will think you're crazy. I'm sure it doesn't happen here. But anyway, like sometimes it happens that people are like, what are you talking about? So I felt this because over the years as I was walking with the Lord, I had that same, I recognized that voice, that impression. So I just told everybody, hey guys, get everything set, wake up, get everything set up because we're ready to go and do another outreach. They're like, huh? You should have seen something that uh-huh. You know, they woke up with all the saliva all over their face and they were like, what's going on? And I thought we were done for today. No, we're not done because we're going to stop by this plaza and we were going to have dinner in a couple hours, but I just felt that God wanted us to do it. So we, I told the person who was hosting us, I really feel like maybe we could just do one more outreach right over here in the center part of the city. And even for him, he was like, uh, okay. And so we went in and we did our drama. We did the song with motions. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. We did all that stuff. And then someone shared a testimony and I began to preach. And there's one sermon that I always preach that to get people's attention, like especially if you're in the middle of the street. 
I'll stand there. I'm like, hola. No, I, whatever language, I would at least like state hello or whatever. And I said, did you know that the human being can live three minutes without uh, air and 14 days without water and 40 days without food? But you cannot live one second without God. You know, that, that was my, that was my intro. <laughs> and so this was close to about 5 o'clock, heading towards 6. Dinner was going to be around 7 o'clock. But this is the thing. We were right in the middle of the whole city that we were in. It was right when the work was about to be finished. And I was preaching the gospel message and people were walking by. And as we began to share, their crowd began to gather. First of all, they're like, what are these Asians doing in my country, you know? So they were like looking and see what's going on. But we shared the gospel message and it was powerful because there were people who responded to the gospel. And as they were coming up and responding and then we told our team members to go pray for them, the thought that came to my mind was God was preparing them for this moment. And there could have been a very good possibility in my own tiredness, I could have just moved on and missed that. Of course, God would have still raised up somebody else and worked in that person's life, but we had the privilege of being able to see them come to know Jesus Christ. Why am I sharing this story? Because in many ways, when we think about people in sharing the gospel so their lives can be transformed. It is not our work, but it's God's. And if we would just listen and obey, you will see God do some amazing things. So here's the story about Paul. We saw his background. We saw his beliefs. Now, what I want you to notice is this, his encounter with Jesus Christ. This is the part I want you to notice. The thing that I want you to first understand, there are several things. The first thing is that Jesus presents himself to Paul. So once again, it's not Paul searching for Jesus. Jesus presents himself to Paul. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 and 2. Let's read it together. It says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So pretty much what he did was, you know what? I'm going to follow, chase after these Christians and I'm going to put them all in prison. That's how zealous he was. So he literally went to the high priest to receive letters, to receive permission or authority, if you want to look at it that way. And he was on his way to Damascus to capture all the Christians. Now, as we're getting into the story, I want you to understand that this is not normal. This is a person who's on a mission. Now I want you to see how Jesus presented himself. Let's read verse, what is it, 3 to 5. It says this. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I mean, try to imagine this. Here you are ready to kill Christians or chase them down to put them in prison. And all of a sudden this light appears. You fall down to the ground and then you hear this voice calling out your name. Why are you persecuted? And he's like, who are you? 
goes, I'm Jesus that you're persecuting. We see that Jesus appears, appears to Paul through this blinding light and he speaks to him. Now, the reason why I think this is important is that you will see that Paul was spoken to in Aramaic. This is something that a lot of us might not really understand is that that was the language in which many Jewish people were taught. So not only the the Hebrew language, but they were taught Aramaic. And so if you read this passage, you will notice that it was spoken in Aramaic. Now, why is this important? Because if you look at verse 5 again, you see that Paul did not recognize that it was Jesus, but he knew that it was a supernatural being. Jesus, being God himself, spoke to Paul in his heart language. Now, I know many of you in this room, you speak multiple languages. And many of you feel pretty confident in English, which is your second language. But many of us have our first language, the the language that we dream in, the language that we want to swear in, which you should not. But, you know, things go through your mind. And so you know that your heart language is different from the language that you speak to communicate to others. God, Jesus Christ, spoke to Paul in Aramaic, in the heart language, of the language that he was taught. So you see, here's Jesus presenting himself. I want you to notice the second thing. Jesus prepares the way for Paul. Let's read verse 6 through 9. Listen to what it says. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose to the ground. And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I want you to notice the phrase, you will be told what to do. In the message translation, I'm going to look at some different translations of that phrase. In the message translation, read the yellow section with me out loud. It says this, in the city, you'll be what? What you'll be told what to do next. What to do next. Here's another translation. The Living Bible says this. Now get up and go into the city and await my further instructions. Here's another translation. It says the voice. It says, get up, enter the city. You will learn there what you are to do. Once again, the main driving force in this story is that God is in the center. And what is happening around him It's God who is working. That's why Saul, all he's told to do is just wait. I'll tell you what you're going to do next. Jesus was preparing something great for Paul. Can I just pause here? I just really feel like there's some of us in this room who might be in that crossroad. You have to make a decision. Some of us are maybe feeling a little bit impatient because we're waiting upon something. I want you to understand that that's not a bad thing. There are times when God puts a pause on something because he's trying to prepare those things for you. Sometimes you're not ready to go into that door. You're not ready to go on that path. So what he does is he doesn't, it seems like he's not speaking, but he's preparing things for you. He's not only preparing the things for you, but he's working on you. 
the things that you need to work on, the things that you need to surrender, the things that you need to repent of, the things that you need to trust in, trusting in Him that He will work. That's why some of us who are in that situation, you need to understand God, part of the transformation process is God will show you what you ought to do next. And then we see that he also had to, in his disarray, depend on others. Can you imagine if you're blind, you cannot see anything, you had to depend on other people to lead you. So I want you to pause here for a moment and let's put it together. Here's a person who's well-accomplished, self-sufficient, knew how to do all this stuff, smarter than anyone else. And here he is, blinded, had to wait and depend on others to help him to walk and lead him. That'll break you. I'm just wondering if some of us in this room are experiencing that or have experienced that. You thought your whole life was all ordered and everything was perfect. And then something happens and now your life is spinning out of control. I'm just wondering if some of these things that you're experiencing is God's way of trying to encounter you. That what he's doing is he's trying to present himself to you as well as preparing the way for you so that you may be able to trust in him and see your life being transformed. That's why in verse 9, this is important. In verse 9, we see that Paul was blind. He did not eat or drink for uh, anything for three days. I'm going to give you his account of his testimony in his own words when he stood before the governor to be able to share his story, his life testimony. I want you to listen to what he says. And this is so important. In Acts chapter 26, verse 16 through 18, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation and read the yellow section with me. It says this, and he is now standing in front of the governor trying to give his testimony of what happened to him, why his life was transformed. He says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant witness. Tell people that, come on, you have seen me and tell them what I show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. What a powerful moment. Here is Paul blinded, physically blinded, could not see that he had to be led by other people to walk. And he was waiting because God says, go to this place and wait. In his physical blindness, Jesus was also showing him his spiritual blindness. That's how he understood it later on in Acts chapter 26. This is Acts chapter 9. So when he looked back to his life, looked back at the testimony of what God did, he realized that God blinded him because he was living in spiritual darkness and now he is given the commission to open people's eyes. Not physically, well, possibly physically as he heals them, but spiritually to open their eyes to see. Do you see this teaching moment that Jesus is trying to speak to Paul? It is in this moment of an encounter with Christ that changed the trajectory of his life. Can you imagine how a person who is this accomplished, now waiting for God, 
dependent on others, how his life was touched and transformed. How about us this morning? Have you encountered Christ in a powerful way? Some of you have brought, been brought up in the church, and Christ is just another story. The Bible is just another book. That's why those of us who are younger here and you're just new to Hong Kong and you're a student, I want to just encourage you. Your faith that you had in high school is not going to carry you through what you're going to experience in college. To those of us who just graduated from college and you moved to Hong Kong to work, I'm going to tell you right now that your college faith is not going to carry you in your faith as a single adult. There will be more temptations. There will be more things that will be stirred up in your heart that might not be something that is good for you. And that's why we got to keep on growing. Have you encountered him in a powerful way? Not just one time and that's it, but you're encountering him continuously. What are some things that he's trying to do in your life to get your attention? I mean, this is, this is a powerful a theophany, a physical manifestation of God. But what are some things he's doing right now where he's trying to get your attention? What door is he closing? What door is he opening? What are some things that he's speaking to you about? What are some things you're frustrated about? Sometimes he speaks to us through frustration. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? Those are things that God can use to get your attention. I'm wondering if you're able to see that God is trying to prepare a way for you to do some great things for his namesake. We must encounter the power of Christ. Let me close with the second point. As we're talking about this revelation of the gospel we have to god is the one who's going to reveal it to us that's when we experience this real transformation that's when we have to encounter the power of christ and the second point that we see from this story is that we must exhibit the power of the gospel that we have to exhibit the power of the gospel at this time can i ask you to take out your phone and what we're going to do is we're going to do a word cloud i just want to see how many of you have ever experienced love? All right, are you with me? Some of you are like, okay, phone down. I don't want to answer this. No one will know who you are, all right? Here is the QR code. Go ahead and scan it. We're going to do a little menti thing here. And here's the question I want you to answer. And this is going to be a little bit hard because you cannot write an essay. The question that I want you to answer is, how do you know when a person is in love with somebody? Okay, so... Can we just use like a word or maybe a couple words to describe it? If some of you are like, I've never felt love or I've never been. It's okay. It's all right. Just, just imagine those TV dramas, you know, uh, the Korean dramas. By the way, Korean men are not like that. Anyway, so uh, some. But go ahead and uh, we're going to have you do this. The question is, how do we know? When a person is in love with somebody. It has to be something that's physically visible. What do you notice about a person that is in love with somebody? <laughs> Tingles. Wow, wow. Stomachache. That might be, you might not like them. I don't know. But I, I know what you're probably talking about. It's just like that, that kind of like that tension in your stomach, right? You feel that? Okay, what else? Sacrifice, butterflies. Okay, wow, you guys are, okay, here we go, we're going. Keep on looking for them, stay close to them. Okay, they might be around you right now. Okay, you never know. Uh, what else is a shy? Some of you are always shy, so I, I don't know. You have blinded. 
touch. Okay, all right. Action. These are good words. Okay, wow. We're, we're sacrifice, nervous, butterfly, blinded, attention. This is good stuff here. This is how I should come up with service. What do you want to talk about? Let's do a Mentimeter and then we just... These are good answers. Well, let's just go for another five, seven seconds. But once again, like, how do you know when a person is in love with somebody? Look at some of these answers. Someone put eyes. I don't know what that means. You might be a little bit creepy, okay? <laughs> like, their eyes. Gentle, I don't know. <laughs> Someone put gravitational pull. All right. <laughs> you, you must be from USC, you know? <laughs> well, you know, the gravitational pull, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> some of you guys are, you guys, some of you are too funny here. All right, we talk about them, you spend time with them. We can screenshot that. We'll send that out. Send it back to me. This is great. Well, here's the thing: when the work of God, which is the work of transformation, happens to a person, how would you know? See, we all know what it feels like when, you're, when you love somebody or you think you love them, but you like them. Because we, f- we do things, we feel things. So my question is this, how do we know when a person has been transformed or is transforming? How do we know in this situation for many of you who are believers in your walk with God that you love Jesus Christ and you are grateful for what he has done in your life. How will you know? And as we think about this question, we have to understand that once you've experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the peace of God, the joy of God that comes by knowing him, it will naturally reflect in the things that you do. So what we notice now is this. Here's the Apostle Paul, who had this powerful encounter with Christ. Now you will notice what he does after that encounter that shows us that he is exhibiting or expressing that love that he experienced, the gospel that he experienced. There are a couple things that I want you to notice in the rest of this passage that we're going to read today. The first thing is that we have to point people to Jesus. You know, one of the things you start realizing is that it's no longer just about you anymore. You are sinful. You sinned against God. All we are is just selfish. We're self-centered. It's all about us. But here's God working in your life. You begin to understand his love for you. You begin to realize what he has done on the cross, that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And when you begin to internalize that and understand that, one of the things that will begin to manifest in our lives is that we're going to point people to Jesus. It's not me. If anything good happens, it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. Because if it was me, then I would mess this up. I would do my own thing. But it's all Jesus. Let's read verse 10 through 19a. Listen to what it says as we continue in the story. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judah. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Did you see what was happening? So here he is blinded for three days, didn't eat anything or drink anything. He was being led by the people that he was traveling with. And so he is waiting there, not knowing what's going on. A person who's so self-sufficient, someone who's so determined and who could accomplish so many things. He was there like almost like a little baby. And then all of a sudden, God appears to Ananias. Now, I think all of us would have responded the same way. Wait a minute. Isn't that the same dude who's killing all these people? And putting us in prison? Like there are times when God will tell you to do something that does not make sense. Can I get a good amen to that? There are many times when God's going to say, I want you to do something. And you're like, no, Lord. That's not, uh-uh, that ain't it. That, get behind me, Satan. You know, and there are times when we feel that. I think that's what Ananias felt. How in the world do you want me to go to this guy who's infamous now for killing all of your saints. And now you want me to go to him? But what do we do? What do we see here? He obeyed. He followed. Now, the thing that I want you to see here is God was not only working on Paul, but he was working on Ananias. In Acts chapter 22, verse 12, we find out that Ananias was was a devout Jew. So he loved God, who became a follower of Jesus Christ. He heard about the reputation of Paul. And as he was going to Damascus and all that he was going to do to Christians. But there's something powerful about knowing God and when he tells us to do something, we obey. That's why in verse 17, we notice that Ananias obeyed and went to meet Paul. And what did he do? He put his hands on him and then he called him what? Brother. So some of you are thinking, did he go, yo, bro, what's up, man? The reason why Christians call each other brothers and sisters is we have the same father. We're part of a spiritual family. So we look out after each other. We love one another. So he says, Brother Paul or Brother Saul. And once again, listen to what he says. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did Ananias do? He pointed to Jesus, who's the one that worked on the transformation and what God is doing. And then immediately the scales fell off from his eyes. I just pray that whenever people see us, we could point people to Jesus. Can I get a good amen to that? 
It's not our work of transformation. It's God who's changing us. It's God who's helping us. Here's another thing that you notice. We must not only point people to Jesus, but we must proclaim Jesus. When you've experienced genuine transformation and you've experienced the gospel, not only will you point people to Jesus because it's not about you anymore, but you will start proclaiming who he is. Let's finish off and read verse 19b all the way through 22. It says this, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I want you to look at verse 20. It says, immediately. Other translation says, at once. Paul began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. This is what happens when you experience genuine transformation. Your whole life is turned around. Some of you who are going through pain and issues in your life, the reason why you're constantly numbing yourself with video games, watching TV, doing all these other stuff, drugs, alcohol, relationships, is because you're trying to get rid of that pain because you don't know how to. It's so much easier to drown yourself in all these things of this world. Some of us, we mask it with saying, hey, I want to be a good witness for Jesus, so I want to do all this and this. But deep inside, it's your own ambition. Why? Because you have never found your worth in Christ. Your only worth is by what you do, how you perform. This has been your whole story. That's why you only feel love when you do well in school. On the flip side, you're devastated when you don't do well or your GPA drops by 0.1 or 0.001. You're devastated. This is the reason why when you can't find a job or the job that you're with and you just move from one place to another, the reason why so many of us struggle with these things is once again, we have found our meaning and purpose and things that are temporary that should not and cannot satisfy you. So when you've experienced this good news, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, the first thing that you want to do, and it's just a natural that you want to share it with other people. That's why people, who are the most passionate people for evangelism, do you know? Are those people who just became a Christian. Studies have shown after you've been a Christian for two years, you're more assimilated into the church, your desire for evangelism goes down. Some of you have been Christian for many, many years, and even two-digit numbers, Double-digit numbers, and you don't care about those who are lost. You're already comfortable with being around other Christians. In fact, I, I challenge people, not to make them feel guilty, but I try to challenge them, and I go, think, if there are people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior genuinely, they will not be afraid to share it in their life group. They will not be afraid to share it in front of other people. They want to get baptized because they want to proclaim it to people around them. Not to say that you got to be baptized to be saved, but you want to publicly declare the work of God that he's doing in your life and let everyone know that it's all about Jesus. If your life has been transformed when you go to work, you don't have to say, I'm a Christian. Ah. You know, you don't have to do those crazy stuff. No one will like you. That's why you're eating by yourself. You don't have to do that stuff. 
What did you do this weekend? Oh, well, yeah, I just hung out with some people. No wonder for the five years you've been working that they don't even know you're Christian. Do you know what the worst part is? Is that some of them actually come to church. They go, you go to this church? What are you doing here? You're a Christian? Let me just say this. Do not experience that, please. You've been working with this person for five years, and they did not know you're a believer. Once again, don't be weird. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. But you can share the things that God is doing in a way that is understandable. Oh, this weekend we had this activity in my church. It was great. We were able to hang out, build relationships. Oh, that sounds pretty good. What did you guys do? We prayed and we, ah, you know, don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, because well, we just want to grow in our knowledge of God. So we studied the word, studied the Bible. But we also just wanted to be closer together and building relationships because that's a very important part that we see in Scripture, the Bible. We hung out. We did this, that. My encouragement to you is this. If you have genuinely experienced the work of transformation, that is God's work, and your life has been transformed or transforming, then you will want to proclaim it to others around you. Yes, it's part of pointing people to Jesus, but it's also being able to proclaim it. It says immediately, at once, Paul began to preach the gospel. This shows the genuineness of his conversion, that he's willing to proclaim Jesus. That's why the Bible says they were confounded. In fact, that word or this idea is they were amazed in verse 21, and it's translated as astonished. Now, if you study that word, literally, this is how it's translated. They were besides themselves. They were struck out of their senses. So let me demonstrate. I don't know if I could demonstrate, but let me try to demonstrate it. Come on up, Samuel. (laughs) Forgive me. Sometimes when I call people up, I don't even tell them ahead of time. Whoever looks at me, I just call them up. So he was looking at me, so I call him up, okay? So, like, you're sharing about how your life has changed. Okay, we're just having a conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's acting. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> he's dancing. But anyway, he, he's sharing. When they were confounded or they were beside themselves, go ahead, start sharing. So here I am. I jump out. I am beside myself saying, What? Are you with me? Okay, thank you, Sam. (laughs) I want you to think about this for a moment, this word, astonished, amazed. You are standing beside yourself because you cannot believe what's happening. It almost seems so surreal. It is an out-of-body experience. That's what happened to the Jewish people when they saw Paul or formerly known as Saul, preaching the gospel. What a powerful thought. When was the last time people were standing outside of themselves or besides themselves? When was the last time when people were amazed? 
you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many local Hong Kong people we have here. Now, listen, this is, I think this is something worth thinking about. This is your city. This is where you live and you have lived for all your life. I'm wondering if you've experienced genuine transformation within the context of our church and God has been working in your life, that if you were to go back to some of your primary school friends, they'll be like, what? They'll be confounded. They will be astonished. They will be amazed because you are not like that. What happened? And pretty much by them thinking and saying what happened, you have a platform now to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. But you can share about how through community and relationships, friendships that you built, you could talk about how you experienced because you were struggling with anxiety, mental health, and all these things going on in your life. But when you started reading the Bible, it gave you a sense of peace. You can share about how people served you and loved you that you weren't able to experience in any other context before and that opened your eyes. What motivated these people to try to love me? And so here we see that they were beside them. That's why I love the message translation. Let me just close out with this. It says, they were what? Caught off guard. They were caught off guard. Whoa. And not all sure that they could trust him. They kept on saying, isn't this the man who wrecked havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off in jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priest? They were just flabbergasted. When God does a work of transformation, he will cause people to wonder. When was the last time someone wondered <laughs> about you? They were amazed at what God was doing. I pray that we will be a church community, a family, that we will be able to proclaim the greatness of God and what he does. That's why the one thing, once again, was only a gospel revelation can bring upon real transformation. Here's the gospel, very simply, that you and I, we were created for the glory of God. But because we have sinned against God, it separated us from God. The very best that he had for us, now we're trying to go through the garbage dumps to find satisfaction, to fill our stomachs. And it never satisfied. That's what we're constantly searching. We're constantly doing things. But see, this is the love of God that he actually wanted you to come and be a part of this kingdom that he has established. Because he's the king. So he invites us to come and be a part of this kingdom, a new family, a new community. But here's the requirement. It's very simple. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have a lot of stuff. You don't have to have looks. You don't have to have positions, titles, GPAs. You don't, you don't need any of that. The requirement is simply this, to be a part of this kingdom. That you first acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you sinned against God. A holy God. And you broke the fellowship with him. Because you turned to your own, your own ways. And then as you understand that, you, you repent and you say, God, I'm sorry. I've turned away. And then you re receive and believe by faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that your sins can be forgiven. It's that simple. That's the only requirement. That you repent and you re believe and you put your trust in Jesus Christ and your life will never be the same. 
And when you experience this work of transformation because of this gospel revelation, I'm telling you right now, you'll have a greater sense of meaning and purpose in life, which I'm going to talk about next week. So if I can encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to take some of these little steps. Because a lot of times you could hear this message and say, okay, that was good, thank you, and then just move on. But I want, I want us to make this tangible. That only the gospel revelation can bring upon real and genuine and true transformation. Not only do you have to have this encounter, but then you're going to start exhibiting the power of this gospel in your life. You're going to proclaim it. You're going to share it. So here's some next steps for you to kind of think about and maybe apply. The first thing is this. Turn to Jesus in your discontentment. I'm going to tell you right now, as I've lived life long enough, I'm praying that as long as, I don't know how much longer God will give me, but as I've lived life long enough, everything in this world will it's not going to satisfy. You, you, when I was younger, I, and even now, there are things that I think to myself, it will, it will, until you get it and you realize it doesn't. And it's in those moments of discontentment, realizing that relationship will not fill your heart, realizing that job will not fill your heart, even though you have all these things, when you turn to Jesus, you realize that's where you find the true transformation. The second thing is this. It's take some next steps of faith. You know, some of us are just standing there. We're like, okay, God, if you're real, you're going to do something, do it. I believe if you lift up a humble prayer, he will show you. But you got to take some steps of faith. Come out to life group. Come out to church. Keep on hearing the word of God. Meet up with other people. Discover. I, in fact, I, I, I always tell people, go check out other religions. It seems so much similar. Like Buddhism, Hinduism, all these religions, Islam, they all look similar on the surface. But when you go deeper, you realize, wow, it's completely, no other religion claims that the Son of God came into this world, died and resurrected from the dead. No other religion tells us that you cannot reach up to God by doing all these good things. But God reached down to us. So take these little steps of faith to learn more about who he is. The third thing is this. Talk to others about your testimony. The work of transformation has to be exhibited through you sharing about what Christ has done. You should not, I, I know it's scary. I know some of you are a little bit shy. But just pray and ask God for that boldness so you can share. There are so many moments where he's going to show you and if you would just obey, I'm telling you right now, you are going to experience things like you've never experienced before. <laughs> I don't know how many of you are here because of the result of OCR, our Operation Campus. Those of you are like, huh, what is all that? The people with the purple shirts, right? The lilac shirts. I participated this, this year, and as I was walking on campus, I was just walking around, I'm just like, God, who do you want, who do you want me to talk to? And once again, I have to fight. Like that person, he looks too local. He's not going to even want to talk to me. Somebody, you know. Oh, that person, they look like they're from Europe somewhere and they're just on exchange. So it's like, okay, let's have fun. Climb the mountain. Oh, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> but I had to go beyond myself and pray and say, God, who is it that you want? you're preparing? Who is it that you want me to talk to? 
I'm wondering what would happen if some of you started talking about your testimony to people in your workplace, in your classes that are starting up already or will start soon, in your dorm. Talk about Jesus. Point it back to him and proclaim him. And lastly, trust in Jesus to transform you. He's the one who could transform you. I want to close with this video. As you know, I, I, I love music. I enjoy music. But more than that, I love stories behind music. The composer, the singer, the writer. This next person, her name is Amanda, and she, she has a, a disability. But somehow she was able to get on America Got Talent. Some of you don't even know what that is, but it's okay. Uh, it's kind of like the variety show or just trying to discover new talent. And she uses her gift of singing. But once again, she has a disability. But one thing I did not know, because I was doing a lot of research, <laughs> I realized that she's actually a believer. And she spoke at one of these big outreaches that this one ministry has. And she was sharing about how it's through this, through her disability, that she was able to proclaim the greatness of God. I pray that we'll catch that vision of what God can do. He could transform your life if you allow him. So let's watch this together, and then we'll come and close out in time of worship. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we, as we close? I know many of you cannot fully relate to Amanda, but I think in many ways all of us have some kind of impediment because of sin. And sometimes it's very difficult to go through all those things that you're going through and really hope and believe that God could actually transform you. And this is where the power of God has to come in and the power of the gospel. Because once you experience God's love through the gospel, the things that held you back, things that you feel like you will not be able to do, you're going to be able to do. Why? Because God is greater. And like I said, I, I was blown away that she was actually a believer and had that kind of perspective to write a song that says that everything that she's gone through, she wants to lock it up in a box. But then she realized that then it wouldn't be her. But it's because of her, because of who God made her to be, she's now being used to share the gospel with so many people. That's what the apostle Paul did. He had all these credentials, but he gave all that up to follow Christ because his life was never the same. His eyes were, spiritual eyes were open from darkness to light. And he laid down his life to share the gospel message until he passed away. I'm just wondering if some of us in this room, we need to have this kind of hope in the gospel once again, that Jesus Christ can transform you. I'm going to ask us at this time, if we could just bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes. And I want to create some space here just for a couple minutes for God to speak to you. And before that, I'm going to ask us to just lift up a simple prayer. Just 
something to this effect. Just say, God, show yourself to me. Speak to me. And just as you're standing there when that's space with you and God, I want you to listen. I want you to feel. What is it that God is trying to do? He brought you all the way this way to Hong Kong. Not by accident, but there's a purpose. When everyone is moving on, you, you grew up here in Hong Kong, but when everyone else is moving on, moving out of this country, you're like, why am I stuck here? Maybe there's a purpose. I'm a firm believer when this gospel revelation happens, your life will never be the same. So for the next minute and a half to two minutes in this quiet space between you and God, I want you to listen and hear what he says. And then talk with him. God, I want to know you. Show yourself to me. Transform my life. I surrender these things that are hindering me from knowing you, loving you. Come on, church, let's do that right now. Can we just do that? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.